She is defiant. She is a rule breaker. She is a revolutionary because she is who she is. She's a punk. It started with just your basic rock and roll stuff. And then, like, you know, I, at some point I discovered, like, The Clash. And then I was like, yeah, this punk rock thing. I'm down with that. I like this shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Joan Jett. You, you would hear Joan Jett on the radio. So you would, you know, I would be, I would hear one of her songs and be like, yeah, this person. I'm going to check it out. I like the way this sounds. Yeah. And then you just get deeper and deeper. Yeah. Until you're, like, you know, pushing 40 and you have thousands of records. <laughs> That's Lisa Pereira. She's an entrepreneur and owner of Female Trouble, a record store that happens to be the only record store in Toronto that is owned by a female. She is creative, tough, and sort of accidentally pretty business savvy. She recently made her first documentary about a Detroit band called The Punks. I went to go speak with her in her apartment in downtown Toronto, and her home is incredible. It looks like a library, man. I'm telling you, the walls are lined with a collection of books and vinyl that feels endless. We sat on her white couch near a window for over an hour. And throughout this interview, sometimes you're going to hear the sound of a streetcar passing by her window or the faint thud of music coming from the vintage clothing store that she lives on top of. So you might actually hear some weird shit happening in the background occasionally. But that's just the sounds of the city. In fact... You'll actually end up learning a little bit about the history of the punk scene in Toronto, too. Because it's easy to learn from Lisa. Here she is. <laughs> I know. Okay, let's start from the top here. So, if you could just say your name and the things that you do, because you do a few. Okay. So, my name is Lisa Pereira, and I run a store with my partner called Female Treble which does not have a physical location, but we do pop-ups and sell online and stuff like that. Uh, we do events. And I also direct, I'm also directing a documentary about a band called The Punks from Detroit, uh, early 70s era Detroit. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into music and kind of records right away. What was the first album that you ever got? Tape, cassette, whatever, just the first album. You know what's weird? I can't remember what it was. It, it was probably a tape, but I, it was so long ago that I, I don't remember. Lisa, like so many of us, myself included, comes from an immigrant family. Her father is from Portugal and her mother is from Italy. And she told me that her parents really wanted to provide her with opportunities, which often took the form of trips to the library. Lisa's childhood and high school years seemed to be made up of a lot of shadow work, like experiences and effort put towards a career that she didn't even really mean to have. It's like she had been training her whole life to own a record store. She just didn't know she was doing it. I do remember the first records that had had impa an impact on me because my dad, my parents had records and we would go, we'd also go to the library and like sign records out and listen to them, right? So, you know, like my dad's like early Stones records and, and stuff like that. My mom, her taste in music wasn't really like my thing, but, you know, my dad had a couple of cool things, a couple of cool blues records that sort of like, you know, I enjoyed as a child. And then as I got older... I just got obsessed with them, like probably in my teenage years. And that's when I really started collecting. Cause I would go. I I grew up in Scarborough, so I would um, 
I would go to like all the Salvation Armies and all the Value Villages and like people used to just throw records out in the garbage and they would always be good. Like I got all my Clash records from a Salvation Army because in the 90s they were valueless and people wanted CDs and people were getting rid of their turntables so they were changing it up, getting rid of their records and buying CDs and so I was buying records for like a dollar. Yeah. Like getting cheap record players and just like buying stuff, not knowing what it was, just to investigate, and that's how I got started. Mm-hmm. So, like, my mom would take us to the library like every week, and we'd sign out records and books and movies and whatever, and like bring it all home and just get exposed to all the stuff. And like, when I was a teenager, I would go to the library and sign out my own CDs, um, because the local library just had a good collection of music for some reason like I grew up in aging court and so the library there is just amazing so I would go I wouldn't know anything about the artists that I would pick I would just pick CD because the cover looked interesting or whatever and like you know it just fueled this like constant need to like investigate more and more music so is that when your own tastes began to develop because we all kind of start grabbing stuff from our folks yeah like you know it started with just your basic rock and roll stuff and then like you know I, at some point I discovered like the clash and then I was like yeah this punk rock thing I'm down with that I like this shit yeah <laughs> you know like Joan Jett you, you would hear Joan Jett on the radio so you would you know I would be I would hear one of her songs and be like yeah this person I'm gonna check it out I like the way this sounds yeah and then you just get deeper and deeper yeah until you're like you know pushing 40 and you have thousands of records (laughs) (laughs) and you grew up in Toronto too and there was a really great punk scene here so I mean did you find yourself going to shows at an early age yeah I started going to shows uh when I was in high school so it's weird because my partner did too he's a bit older than me but um you know we I would see like pop punk bands like Maryland's Vitamins back then I couldn't get into the you know 19 plus shows but I would go to these all ages things that would happen on you know Sunday or Saturday afternoon like DOA would come to Toronto and they would always do a matinee show and I would always go to it because it was one of the few shows I could actually get into and I tried to sneak into tons of shows too and sometimes I wouldn't get in sometimes I would get in so during that time period I would say like my life revolved around going to shows and if I had enough money that week to go to a show I was going I went to all the sharp shows I went to like everything and anything I could even if I didn't know what the band, just just to satisfy my curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny how our unconscious efforts often pay off later in life. All that time she spent picking through record bins or going to shows in high school, that's what made her great in her business. You just don't think of it that way. Because when you're 17 and drinking 40s in an alleyway trying to think of ways to sneak into the show, you never think to yourself... Holy shit, this is going to be an amazing experience towards my career one day. It's just that sometimes it is. I would say definitely around 13, 14. Um, I, I wish I could remember the first punk show I went to, but I can't. Neither. I never, yeah, like it, I, I was never like, this is my first time going to this. Like, it never, at the time, you just don't think in those terms. But then when you're, you know, 20 years later, you look back and you're like, I wonder what the first show was that I went to. And like, I didn't keep any of the flyers and stuff. So it's really hard for me to remember that stuff. But my partner did. So sometimes I'll be like going through old stuff and he'll be like, 
did you go to the Cramps show at like the Phoenix? And I was like, yeah, I was there, man. That was, that was a wicked show or whatever. It's like, I, and I haven't thought about that show in like 10 or 20 years, right? Yeah. And then suddenly, like, I'm like, oh yeah, I was at that show or like whatever else. Isn't it so bizarre how some folk just have the foresight to keep things like flyers that are so wonderful now? And I never would have thought to keep that at the time. I would hang on to stuff, but then I moved so many times that like things just get lost in the mix. Like, there was a time in my life where like I had a new apartment every single year and I was going to school at the same time too so like each time I moved stuff just got left behind Mm -hmm. so like all the like detritus of my life like things that would help me remember stuff are like mostly gone now and I wasn't really like it's terrible but I never really took photos of anything either like now that I have a smartphone I take pictures of that but even then I still forget yeah yeah (laughs) it's tough it's tough to think to document things yeah like you don't think about it at the time and then like you know years later you're like I should have taken pictures of that or like I wish I could remember that night I know know. well sometimes a photograph won't even help you remember a night let's be serious that too (laughs) so you know you said you spoke about going to the library a lot and buying things used as well but when did your record collection really become an actual collection or even a hobby for that matter well in high school I worked in a bookstore and so I had I worked at this bookstore all throughout high school so I always had like a regular paycheck and almost immediately I would use that paycheck to go and buy like CDs from Sunrise or whatever was that, whatever else was in the mall. I'd also make trips downtown to buy stuff too. Like I would buy stuff from Who's Emma, and there was like another punk store called Full Blast that I would go to. Uh, I also sold zines at Who's Emma, like my own stuff. So there was just this kind of like punk community that sprung up. You buy stuff at shows, so like a lot. I had a lot of seven inches from other bands. Do you think it's weird when people talk about a vinyl boom still? Yeah, I mean, it never, like, for some people, it never went away, right? So, so for us, like, the people who have been buying records for 20 years, like, we see the boom happening, but it's only for certain things, right? And, like, for, for all the talking about the boom, like, I, you know, I sold my own stuff for a year, and, like, you know, I never made, I never made money at it. It was more of just, like, a, an exercise in futility or a labor of love. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know what? Let's let's roll back here for a second because I want to talk. We have to get to this. You said you made zines. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I made a zine with my friend in high school. That was the first one I made and it was just sort of like a, it was like um, like an arts slash music zine that would, like where I would just like review stuff and she would review stuff and we would just like write whatever print stupid photos just you know killing time also we got a school credit for it so I was like yeah I don't have to like basically don't have to do any work extra work and I just like do my zine and then like the teacher looked at it and was like great you got a credit and then you put it in a store yeah so who I don't know if you were in Toronto back then but there used to be this like anarchist store called who's Emma where they had in the in the market in Kensington markets they had shows in the basement and then the rest of the time it was like a a record shop bookshop and they also sold like baked goods and other stuff badges and t-shirts and whatever it was just like a punk shop actually my partner worked there we didn't know each other at the time though so I'm sure like I probably came in tons of times and he was working um and that was like kind of the that was kind of like the the nucleus of like the punk scene at that time like 
touring bands would be able to play in the basement and like you know it was totally illegal but it was just like the way the market was back then Mark was full of punks still is full of punks um so the location made sense to you and they used to have a a women's only night I can't remember what day it was I think it was like a Wednesday or a Thursday night or something where like men weren't allowed to go there which really upset a lot of people but I was just like oh whatever <laughs> I, mean, I can still go right <laughs> and it's just like you know what deal with it it's just like one night but it really like you know it really pissed people off I actually had forgotten about that until I started doing the shop and I was like oh yeah remember that like the Who's Emma like women's only night that used to happen there a few years ago someone made a documentary about Who's Emma that's actually like quite good that. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> actually, it, this kind of makes me go to a new thought path because, I mean, you're very entrepreneurial. This is kind of your thing. Is that the first time, the first time you ever tried or successfully did get something put into a store? Um, well, it, it's not like it was hard to put stuff into Huzema. It was basically, like, you basically just went there and you're like, I have a zine. And they were like, okay, put it over there. And that was it. Like, there wasn't, it wasn't like, it was run by anarchists. So it was just sort of like... I felt like it was like a free-for-all. There really was no place like it in the whole city, and there never has been any place like it where, like, it really was run by, like, a group of people. And even the person that kind of, like, oversaw the space and, like, facilitated it with the money, he didn't make all the decisions. It kind of just went to this, like, group of people that all had the same values and stuff. So... Maybe I'm sure that had an an impact um, on me and my kind of like entrepreneurial tendencies. But I think all punks just sort of come out of this like DIY culture because there no one is going to do it for you, right? And there isn't enough interest, and there's never been enough interest in that kind of stuff for anyone to put money into it, right? So you just kind of have to do it on your own and find a way to do it without the money or without the resources that other people have. Mm-hmm. The, before I opened the store, I remember there was like a, there was an article about female-run record stores and it was like, check out all these females like running their own records, which I thought was cool, but like some people were like, I remember this one woman was like, we're not just a record store, we're a lifestyle store. So we sell like we sell records some records but we also sell hand creams and shit and I was just like it's a lifestyle store <laughs> like, like like you know I was like well, what's wrong with just selling records right but it's like she had to do that because the records just weren't gonna pay the bills right and so it's like everyone kind of just has to do do their own thing to, to make it happen and for me that's always been just like tapping into this like DIY culture and ethic it's like okay i can't afford a storefront so how can i do this another way it's like okay i'll do it in the bar or i'll do it here or i'll do these pop-ups or i'll do like i'll do something so that i can do it it just won't be done in the same way that other people are doing it okay so let's think about this you're obviously a person that spent a lot of time in in music stores was there like a situation in particular that happened to you like a, a pinpoint situation where you're like that's it fuck this I'm starting my own store or was it just record store culture was there something what was the reason for starting the store well I would say in the in Toronto it was like a real in the 90s especially like the the 
shop owners, workers were like a lot more curmudgeonly, which like I didn't mind. Like that kind of like record store curmudgeon will always have like a special place in my heart because it really harkens back to like a pre gentrification Toronto that most people like have not experienced. But there's also just been, and it doesn't, it's not just restricted to like record collecting, but also like playing music and anything else. Like there's just so much, uh, it's just so much harder for women and we're criticized more and like we have to put up with things like sexual assault and harassment and all this stuff that like men don't really like have to put up with. So I wouldn't say it was like one sort of thing, but like the kind of general rudeness that is like directed towards women in a specific way. Like I would go to like a record show and it'd be all dudes mostly. And inevitably someone I would say to me like, well, you don't see too many women buying records. And it's like, yeah, we do. Like we do buy records. Like we're like, we contribute, not only do we contribute to like the, record collecting like culture in Toronto we spend a lot of money on records and like all of the people that I know all DJs like radio hosts who have their own shows you know a lot of them are women but it seems strange to me that there wasn't a store in Toronto anymore that was owned by women I don't know if that answers your question yeah yeah it does <laughs> so it's just like you saw a hole in the market it, it feels like a personal desire yeah like it wasn't like I was like, I'm going to be the only re- female record store owner in the city. I was, I'm, I'm just made the observation, like, huh, that's weird. Like, all these women are working in other areas of music, except there isn't somebody that's just selling records in the city, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a store called Zoinks that's owned by a woman, but like, there's no just like female-owned outright record store, and they'll have one store in the whole city that's owned by one when there's like you know 300 record stores in this city they're all owned by men it's mm. weird yeah. <laughs> and you gotta wonder why and I, I can't sit around it and, and claim to understand the, the psychology of business and how these things work I don't know but you gotta wonder I think it just comes down to money like I didn't I don't have any money so I was like how can I do this without money and I kind of figured out a way to, to do it but um, for a lot of other people not having money is like a much more difficult hurdle to kind of like get over Mm -hmm. um so let's think about that then you just said something very interesting is that not having money is just not that big of a deal to you yeah where do you think that that's a very particular type of work ethic because it's work ethic yeah but it's like a a type man because it's a certain type of crafty that's a certain type of like ingenuity that that takes to do something that's even kind of successful do you think that's like as a result of like you being kind of steeped in DIY culture or what what do you, what do you think that is? Well, no one has any money that I know. And I, and so I was seeing other people do stuff. I'm like, "Well, that person doesn't have any money and they did it." And it's like, you know, and I and I didn't want to let having no money stop me from doing stuff because if I wait for money, I'm never I'm never going to do anything. Like I'm never going to have money. So I might as well do what I want. I also am I don't know, it's like I have this desire to just do things and be creative no matter what and and so once I get it in my head to do something like I'm gonna do it and money is just like the least of my problems at that point right it's like as long as I have the stock and I felt like I had enough records enough good ones that it didn't matter where they were like like after the um, 
after all those interviews came out, this one woman like criticized the store because at the other location I had, um, she said that the bins weren't nice. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, who cares about the bins? That they're, like, I've never, if you asked me, like, what the bins looked like in my favorite record shop, I couldn't tell you. I, I was like, I don't know, they're brown. Like, like it wouldn't even occur to me to look at that's like meeting a wonderful person and talking shit about their shoes yeah that's why it's like this person is amazing terrible shoes though like what the fuck kind of critique is that yeah it's so weird i was like this person is worried about the craftsmanship of my bins but like not a word about like the records i had which i had like lots of really good ones they were all cool and it's like what about the stuff that i had and like yeah. what about you know the prices or anything yeah. that actually matters like if you're not going to talk about stock then i don't care about you yeah it was like a weird thing it was like a weird thing to like criticize me for but like i don't know like people were angry after that vice one and like now, I'm, I'm going to stop her for a second here because what Lisa is referring to is a bunch of press that she had done at one point, specifically an interview that she had done for Vice that went a bit viral. It was just her being interviewed in her store, asked about uh, her business and the reaction. For context, when she was asked to do this interview, they told her that they would be interviewing her and a bunch of other shop owners about customers' annoying habits. It was supposed to be kind of funny and sarcastic. And then it would be spliced together with a bunch of other people's interviews and put out. But that isn't what happened. They only put Lisa's out, with zero context of what the original intent of the video was supposed to be. Although many people loved this video, there was also a huge negative reaction as it went viral. Currently, this video has over 362,000 views and the comment section is horrendous. And it wasn't just men, it was women too, right? I was like surprised at how many women were like... That's how I found you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it is. And then like, I saw that like last year and I was like, what the fuck? This girl is just so rad. Like, how do I not know this girl? And then like, you just kept kind of popping up because that's how the internet works. And then when I was kind of building this thing, you were like one of the first people that came to mind. I was like, I'm going to find the girl that I saw that I, in the thing from Vice. This is going to be amazing. And then you said yes, which was the other, the actual surprising thing. But you did all this great and mediocre press, I guess, at the time. Don't let me create a narrative here, but what was the reaction like? Why was it so severe at times? You know, it was weird. For every person that was like, fuck you, bitch, I'm going to whistle in your store. And, like, people have. Like, like people found out that I work about the other record store that I work at and would come in and deliberately whistle in there. Yeah. Thinking that I'm, like, some crazed psycho that just, like, fucking explodes when someone, like, whistles in my shop because they couldn't fucking watch that video and see that it was like a joke and it was meant to be funny like and I have like a sense of humor they were so angry and I think specifically because I, I singled out men for those things it's like yeah you know what dudes come in here and they whistle and they're fucking annoying and they like they do shit like they ask what's playing and then I tell them and then they go oh yeah I know it's like you fucking didn't know you know, I said it in a funnier way, and I thought, you know, when, before the video was shared by Vice, I was like, you know, everyone will have a good laugh, it'll just be funny. And then it was shared, and it was like, oh, 
people don't think it's funny and then suddenly like my inbox was just filled with like you know fuck you bitch you're a fucking asshole or whatever it's like wow people like really hate me now but then there was like a bunch of people who would come out and message me and be like yeah I own you know a woman was like I own like a, a record store in like Switzerland and like men are like coming in here all the time and being rude and I was like whoa like really how did you find me from Switzerland and they're like I saw your video and like you know with your, what, everything you said is true and right lots of people lots of men too saying like yeah I used to be like these guys who are you know think that all women do is complain about how they're mistreated but then I saw how just how mistreated they are and like this video is like a perfect example and he's like a he's like I changed and I'm sorry and like I'm sorry this is happening to you but you know people are fucked <laughs> yeah does your does like these these pop-up stores or your spaces that you occupy ever feel like a political space in that way not really like like I like the the store's Instagram account will will surprise me sometimes like someone contacted me and they were like I live in the middle of like you know Ohio or somewhere in like some small town that has like a thousand people and I'm trans and I just wanted to know like do you think trans women are women and I was like yeah of course they are like trans women are women we we just call them women yeah. <laughs> and they were like you know that makes that like means a lot to me to hear someone say that and I was like holy fuck like this person has to like rely on a record store Instagram account just to see representation of, of people like them right because when the Jackie Shane record came out I really like I ordered a lot of them and I promoted it a lot because I thought like here's someone who just got like swept under the carpet of time and now there's like a reissue out and like a documentary's coming out about her and otherwise she would have just been lost to time and she's like you know she lived in Toronto and like performed here and stuff um, and so people would see those posts of like these not just her but like other trans artists we would promote like Wendy Carlos or like any number of people we ordered the new gloss the last gloss 45 because those are the things that I think we should be selling because I didn't have a lot of money to to play with I felt like we should prioritize records by women or produced by women or trans women because no one else was doing it <clears throat> yeah and I guess that's is it ever difficult to navigate between a business move and your ethics you know you're saying promoting women or tra like a band like Gloss which I guess in some circles some circles can be a little bit divisive uh, I love Gloss but uh, do you ever hard to have a hard time kind of towing that line no, I think given a decision between like a good business decision and a decision based on my ethics, I go with ethics every time, which is probably why I have no money because like <laughs> you know, like like if someone said to me like I'm a pork sausage company and I'd like to sponsor you and give you as much money as you want to do your store, like I'd say no because I'm a vegan, right? It's like I don't care how much money it is. Like I don't want to it's not like oh, it's not in line with like my beliefs or my ethics and those things are important to me and they're more important to me than making money so it's like maybe this maybe there's two right maybe the jackie shane record came out and there was some other thing probably that was like hot shit that everyone wanted but i chose to order more jackie shane records because it's more in line with the store's like 
ideals, I guess. When you were opening the store, did you ever think to yourself, like, I'm going to start this business and I want to have my values up front and center? Did the store have, like, a mission statement at all or was it more ambiguous than that? Not really. I mean, mostly it was just like, let's just sell records that we we like. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna order stuff I like and sell stuff I like. My partner did most of the ordering and so I'd be like you know, he would do an order and I'd be like, Hey, order that new like whatever, you know, order this and then he would order stuff too that would be kind of like more in line with, you know, treble, I guess. The the name female treble came from uh Carolyn Azar from Fifth Column. So like I felt this I guess I felt committed to like the idea of feminism being like a core principle of the shop, I guess. Mm-hmm. And because I benefited so much from like Caroline and, and Fifth Column's music and, and all that stuff, so I felt like I even owed a debt to people who had come before me. <clears throat> yeah. That's that's rad, dude. Fifth Column really did Caroline's told me crazy stories where they got criticized and they were never included on certain bills and like even now they don't get their dues because you know because of sexism in in the music industry right like looking back on the history of Toronto punk you know every punk band is kind of enjoyed either a repress of their records or something but Fifth Column they haven't because and they deserve it because they've been around for a long time and they mean a lot to a lot of women in this city but still like they're still fighting the same battles they did 20 years ago and this is something that i feel like kind of comes up and almost it's almost unavoidable when i have these conversations and it's that why is it that in punk rock a space that is supposed to feel inherently inclusive in its primary values are women still not equal citizens within our own subculture? Why do you think? Well, I think it's changing. Like, I can't say why. I know that it's changing because people are more aware of it, though. I don't know why. You would think, and I think the efforts have been made to include women, um, and efforts are still being made to include women and certainly the punk scene I think that especially like the DIY like independent punk scene um, has done a lot for women and has put up put together a lot of events for women um, but I couldn't tell you why I couldn't I just don't know all I know all I know how to do is kind of like try to fix it like all I know how to do is is establish my own things that can kind of help women. I, I don't know how to address the larger problem besides creating a space that like people feel comfortable in it and then trying to represent people and, and have their needs met. That's mm-hmm. all That's all I can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and do you feel like you have like a, a, a largely female clientele? Or no, is it's it still mostly it's men? It's still I get a lot of women buying records, but like surprisingly, it's like still mostly men. Although at the last pop up we did, we had quite a few women buying records. Um, but it's kind of always been like that, right? Do you think that there's something <laughs> to be said that to um, record stores don't always feel like a friendly or accommodating space for women? 
do you think that that's likely why and we're still kind of breaking down those ideas yeah i think you can apply that to every space and say like there's lots of spaces like bars and show places and places where women in bands play that aren't you know great for women and we still face a lot of things like sexual assault like the that month that um the vice video came out the uh, singer for war on women did a similar video on like how to avoid being sexually assaulted at a, a show and what you should do if if you see someone being sexually harassed or sexually assaulted at shows and people people were just as angry and hateful towards her as they were to me about my shitty shop like people were like fuck you bitch if you can't handle it don't fucking come to a show other people were like you should be flattered that someone's hitting on you, that someone thinks you're good-looking enough to, like, grab your ass or whatever. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so a lot of work still <clears throat> needs to be done. It's like, I don't feel like I should have to convince someone that these are problems anymore. Like, men should just accept that women are... And listen to us when we say, like, hey, there's a problem. We're being, like, sexually harassed, sexually assaulted in these spaces and or you know people are rude to us based on our gender and exclude us from things based on our gender Mm -hmm. um and then you know do what you can to kind of like support women and help them Mm -hmm. do you feel like you have like a good network of women around you here i do women not just women but men too right like for for all the guys that were like upset about the video there were just as many guys you know close friends of mine and just like total strangers who would also come into the bar and be like you know it's really shitty what happened to you on the internet and like you know i just came by to buy a record and be supportive and say like i like what you're doing and i hope you can keep doing it um so i think things are changing they're just changing really slow and like far too slow for my liking it's also like a real lack of female like rock critics in general too and female rock writers as well right like there's been a few but you know they don't have the same kind of cachet that like dave marsh would or or any of these other people who are considered like the voice of like music reviews or whatever you often are not seen as an authority on your particular subject you're very rarely seen as an authority no and like you know i've worked in record stores for like 16 years now or 15 years now and like the amount of times that like men have come in and said something to me like well how would you know anything about that record it came out before you were born or like you know bypassing me altogether to talk to like my coworker who is male you know assuming that i wouldn't know anything about like whatever 60s psych or whatever the fuck that guy was into or, or metal or you know something like that it's like and this is where lisa and i stumble into a conversation that i have had hundreds of times and will likely continue to have she is trying to prove her credibility in a situation As music nerds, Lisa and I have a very similar experience of trying to prove that you know just as much, if not more, as the dudes around you about music. I know that when I was a teenager, going to shows, it could feel like heading into an exam. And sure, maybe I made it that way. Maybe it was because that's what I valued. But I promise you, that challenge of who knew the most or the most obscure bands were ever-present. And men were often a little too surprised when I would win. Now, I don't know what you pride yourself in, but I know that you have had that experience, too. Even if I don't like the music, 
been here for so long that trust me I probably know more than you do about it because I fucking work in a record store and like I've heard so much music like it's yeah. unmatched and it's not I'm not saying, saying that to be like I'm the fucking special authority on like this genre or on music or whatever but it's just by virtue of having done it for so long like working in a record store for that long and listening to music like eight or nine hours a day nonstop is gonna like educate you more than like the average person mm-hmm. and I know that you're not saying that you're an authority but like the thing is, is that you might be yeah like I you might know, what, know I mean? what I'm talking you might about be, though. so yeah. like that's kind of the thing in a way that like maybe men don't need to need to do we're constantly presenting ourselves as like no no, no I, I am very credible I assure you I'm very credible. Yeah, like, one thing that people had a problem with was that I used the word mansplain, but it's like, dude, that's a real thing that happens to women all the time. Like, the amount of times I've had some guy come in and just, like, drone on and on about whatever fucking blues record, like, assuming that I don't know anything about it. That doesn't mean, like, people can't come in and talk to me about music, but there's, like, a specific condescending way that men will do it where it's just like let me impart to you this knowledge that I have and it's like we can have a conversation but you don't need to talk to me like I'm a, an idiot <laughs> and I think that's that's the difference that a lot of people can't if you are not able to decipher the difference between being like oh dude have you heard this band they're fucking they're amazing you should listen to this band and being like let me tell you about this band it's probably because you suck. If you can't tell the difference between those two interactions, and you're like, well, I'm just telling you about music, man, you're probably the problem. Yeah, like, the opposite <laughs> happens, too, where you're like, you're telling someone else about something, and then, you know, they get upset, and they, they think you're being a know-it-all or whatever. It's like, I'm just trying to have, like, a conversation with you. It's like, you don't need to get all insulted. The weird thing is that, that that video came out, but like a few weeks before that, the guy from Hardskin made pretty much an identical um, video because he works at Rough Trade in London, right? So he was like, you know, he had his own video talking about like record store stuff and record store culture. And the comments on that video were like, yeah, right on. Like, yeah, I hate fucking people coming and do that or whatever, you know? It's like totally night and day in terms of like the reaction. But like, we're basically talking about the same thing when it comes from a woman. It's like far more offensive to a certain percentage of the population. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I did. I don't, I didn't, you know, I try not to think about it too much because really I don't interact with these people, right? I'm like, I'm lucky, right? I get to live in my Toronto bubble and never really like have to deal with these people until like something like this happens and then Mm -hmm. the number of people that were like the number of dudes too guys who were like i go into my record shop and no one's ever i never see anyone being sexist or anything to someone it's like you're a fucking guy like no one would be sexist to you you're a white man like it's time to sit down and shut up and listen to the rest of us who are saying like hey there's problems here and we need to like fix them and address them and like figure out a way to like include more people yeah i just don't understand how anyone could be like yeah but as a man i've never experienced sexism your experience is invalid it's ridiculous like yeah oh my god really yeah it's like well, you wouldn't experience it <laughs> why right? would you but you can listen to our experiences and then maybe instead of thinking about yourself go like oh shit yeah how am i contributing to this problem and how can i be like a better like ally or a better like supporter or something you know mm-hmm but I don't really have control over those things. <laughs> no, me either. <laughs> and you know what? After a few weeks, like, the Vice thing came and went, and then, like, you know, it was a few months. 
went by and then people forgot about it and stopped messaging me and then they shared it again and I was like why am I suddenly getting all these messages from like angry dudes oh they fucking like posted that video again but like you know since the last one there's been nothing like no one cares about what I'm doing now like, yeah Except yeah. for me, because I'm yeah. in your house right now. <laughs> yeah, except for people who are like who like to buy records, who are interested in certain things, right? The average dude, like most of those guys, don't even buy records. So it was like they saw the video come up in their feed, and they're just like, "I'm going to be angry here." One thing was really interesting. One guy like sent me this message that was so horrible. He was like, "I hope you fucking die" or something like that. And then I sent him a message. And it, he was one of the few people I responded to, and I was like. Do you really think that anything I said in that video warrants this kind of, like, abuse that you're, like, keeping on me right now? And you know what? He messaged back and he said, you know what? You're right. I'm actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to delete all my comments and, like, you know, I wish you the best. Wow. And I was like, a lot of times it just, you know, requires you to say, like, hey, is this really something that's worth your time and anger? Or should you be angry about something else that, like, maybe means more than, like whatever I do in my fucking shitty shop, you know? Don't you ever find it so hard to not take stuff like... Like, do you take stuff like that personally? You seem pretty tough, but this is your business and your baby and the thing that you do. No, weirdly not. Like, friends of mine were like, holy shit, Lisa, like, aren't you upset? And I was like, you know, I never really cared what people thought about me, and I still don't, so, like, it's probably a good thing that I have, like, no... I don't, I don't care. Like, I was like, I don't know who these people are, and I don't have to deal with them on a regular basis and they're they're not the people I opened this place for in the first place so I don't really care like you know I was bullied as a child and everyone hated me and it's nothing new like I'm sure lots of people still hate me now and like but I don't really give a shit did you build up a tough like a tough exterior when you were younger then maybe I think I think when you're like when you're a weirdo and you're singled out um you develop these tools and skills to just get through your life and get through the day and when people are constantly insulting you and making fun of you you just realize that no matter what you do you're gonna get made fun of so you might as well just do whatever the fuck you want and so that's how I've kind of lived my life it's like I just do what I want I try to do what I want and if I'm doing what I want most of the time then I think it's not so bad right like I might not have lots of money or anything but at least I'm doing what I want most of the time and, you know, some, I don't really care what people think about that. I don't care what people think about my shop or me. Like, it never mattered to me. Mm. It still doesn't. It only matters when, you know, someone comes in the shop and it means something to me when they're like, what a great selection of, of stuff you have. Or I'm like, I'm selling at one of these pop-ups and someone buys a bunch of shit. And they're like, oh my God, I'm so happy to find this record. Like, that makes me feel good. Mm. It makes me feel better than someone making fun of me and me feeling bad. Mm -hmm. Like, even some of the, like, some of the personal insults I got were just, like, I was, I surprised myself by not being, like, offended by any of it. Yeah. I, and That's I don't wicked. know why, I don't know, I don't know why, but I, I just didn't care and I still don't. Yeah. I don't even know if you have to look into that too deeply because that might just be all there is it's just like I just don't give a fuck <laughs> you know like if I cared about what every single person on the internet said about me like I would never leave my house again mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah I hear you I, I catch a lot of shit too um so speaking of just doing exactly what you want to do tell me about this movie Oh, yeah, so this band... So, my partner was on, like, a blog one day, and he was like, listen to this band, like, they sound just like the Stooges. 
and they did and I was like wow like where are they from? He's like, they're from Detroit. They're from the early 70s. And they're fucking called the punks. And I was like, what? <laughs> All right. And he's like, yeah. And they have, like, no real connection to, like, anything punk, really. It seems we're just called the punks, right? And so I became so obsessive about this band. I tracked the guys down in the band. And I was like, I found them. We should just do, like, a... We should do a documentary on these guys. Because not only are they this totally forgotten, lost-to-time band that's, like, amazing... But they call themselves the punks. They have very little to do with punk, and yet they kind of, like, appear at this nexus of, like, what we understand punk to be, like, in modern times, and this, like, bridge to, like, the 60s kind of idea of punk. And the deeper we got in, the more, like, weird little connections we would make between the band and, like, this thing called punk, right? It's, like, the only, like mainstream reference I could find for them was in like a book about Lester Bangs which I don't know where it is now but like the the one it's just all of his articles no it was a biography on it was called Let It Blur the biography oh, on him okay uh, there's a page and I just happened to be flipping through the book at work like bored one day I'd already read it but I had forgotten about this part and I like flipped to a page that said you know, and then this band called the Punks played Lester Bangs' going away party. I was like, holy fuck, it's them. <laughs> I was like, now it's like, now we have to do this because it's so weird. And Lester was the first person who, who kind of like described the two schools of punk, right? Like one is like full of like machismo and the other school is just like a total freak out, right? And I was like, these are two like ideas that like carry forth like in modern times now. And he was already talking about that in like the early 70s. And you have, like, references to punk, you know, musically in the 60s with, like, Lenny Kay and the Nugget stuff and stuff. So it kind of makes sense that the punks come sort of after that time, but before, you know, like, late 70s kind of punk rock that, like, we understand to be punk. And lots of people will claim to say that they, um, they coined the term or they were the first ones to use that word or whatever you know applied to the music that we understand to be punk but like the weird thing is that these guys are like proto-punk in their music like very stooges influenced but like they have one song that sounds like a hardcore song and it's like structured like a hardcore song and like other songs that sound like fucking television could have played it or like very ramon sounding like stuff that you know predates any of that so like for punk people it was like oh my god we have to make this we have to make this documentary it's too weird like <laughs> yeah please i'm your demo yeah <laughs> yeah it. it's like now lisa had no equipment money or even a car to make trips to detroit but if we've learned anything about her that shit just doesn't matter to her that's so exciting yeah that's so cool um so i mean what did you do? What was your thing? Were you holding cameras? Were you interviewing? What were you... We have such a, like, stripped-down crew. Like, when we first started going, it was basically just me and my partner. And then, like, neither of us drive, so, like, whoever we could get to drive us down there. And, be, and we can't pay anyone, so it's like... We don't have any money, but, like, when you get down there, you have a place to stay and, like, unlimited weed. And so, you know... For a lot of people, that's enough currency. Yeah, and it's like, if you like to go to Detroit and, like, hang out and you want to smoke a lot of weed and, like, you know, have a good time, you know, you're welcome to come down. You're just our driver. You drive us around. So, like, tons of friends offered. And, and we went down with, like, a number of different people. And so... 
depending on how many people went down with us each time, like you would have multiple jobs. So like the driver would also do sound and like I've done sound and interviewed people and, you know, any number of things, whatever needs to be done because we don't have like a dedicated sound person. Mostly I did sound and interviewing and wrote the questions, but also did some of the editing just whatever needs to be done. No so one, why was it important for you to tell this story? Because it was just so weird. You know when you find a weird story or a weird band and you're just like, <clears throat> what is this? Like, <laughs> I wanted to know more. <clears throat> and the more I thought about it, I was like, other people would want to know about this too. And that these guys still play together and stuff, right? And they're still amazing. It was like a big reason why we wanted to do it. And I was like, I just need to like get this off my chest Mm -hmm. like it was in my brain and my partner too was like you know both of us need to we need to find out more and then it's like we we have the makings of a great documentary here actually that kind of brings me exactly to my last question is do you still feel like a punk oh yeah i think i'll always feel like a punk it's something that it's so much a part of my life and has been for so long that like I can't imagine my life without it. Thank you so, so much for hanging out with me all over again. And thank you to Lisa for taking the time to talk to me. If you want to follow her, you can follow her on Instagram at Female Treble. But I'm going to link everything that you'll need to know in the show notes. And if you want to keep up with us at the show, please do so. We are trying to build a community here and we cannot do that without you. So follow us on Instagram at She's a Punk Podcast. Um, you can follow our YouTube channel. You can go to the website. Please go to the website at she'sapunk.com because that's where I get to host your work. If you're an artist, a writer, a photographer, a painter, or whatever, I don't care what you do, get in touch with me. And the most important thing of all, if you or some amazing woman that you know wants to be featured in an episode of She's a Punk, you absolutely can. Go to she'sapunk.com and you're going to see a submit form there. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Get in touch with me because I want to talk to you. I promise. So, hit me up. (laughs) I'm Siobhan Woodrow. Thank you so much for listening. All right, take care of yourself and trust your gut.